Welcome to episode 70 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. This episode is the Dr. Frank Mr. T Experience Mega Fun Interview and Songs Spectacular. Yes, indeed. Dr. Frank and I sat down via FaceTime not too long ago and we talked about all kinds of stuff. What Dr. Frank was up to before Mr. T Experience started, how the Mr. T Experience reissues thing came about, which that story is a rad story in and of itself, you'll see. We didn't end up covering a lot of the history of the Mr. T experience, not really in any kind of linear fashion. Anyway, you'll see there's some special stuff in this episode for sure. I did figure as far as the Mr. T experience history stuff goes, there are plenty of podcasts out there that have done some very, very in-depth histories with Dr. Frank all about Mr. T experience. So I wanted to do something a little bit different in this episode. What did I do? Well... A couple weeks before Dr. Frank and I spoke, I went on a Lookout Records group on Facebook, and I put this out there. I said, I'm going to interview Dr. Frank for my podcast soon. What questions might you people have for him? And I got a ton of responses. It was awesome. I picked six of my favorite questions from people. You're going to hear those questions and answers in this episode. So I do need to say right now, thank you to Mike Bruno, Dylan Thomas, Ken Didion, John Rash, Josh Drown, and Matt Diamant for the questions. I will send you all some Bobcast stuff soon, if you'd like. That is, thank you for those questions. I really do appreciate that. I am going to be brief in this intro part, because I'm sure you want to hear what Dr. Frank has to say much more than you want to hear me talk. And besides, I do talk too goddamn much. Yes, I do. The songs of this episode. Let's talk about that for a sec. At the very beginning of this episode and playing in the background right now is a song, And I Will Be With You, by the Mr. T Experience. In fact, all of the songs in this episode are Mr. T Experience songs that I happen to like very, very much. Another thing about these songs, they are all on the Mr. T Experience Forever double LP that is out on Sounds Rad. I'll have some info in a little bit on how you can get your very own copy of that record, plus a ton of other rad stuff. Records, CDs, T-shirts, cassettes, pins, so much more. There is going to be three more Mr. T Experience songs in this episode. Coming up in just a minute is a song, Ba 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 Ba, Ba 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 Ba. You remember that song? Yes, very good song. Then right after that, we're going to go on to part one of the interview, followed by part one of the interview is the song, I Fell For You. Then on to part two of the interview, I'll come back for a few words at the very end, and I'm going to leave you with my very favorite Mr. T experience song of all time, Dumb Little Band. What a fucking great song that is. If any song sums up what it's like being in a band, especially like a DIY or punk band, that kind of thing, that is the song. I absolutely love that song. In this episode, we're also going to hear a few words from this episode's sponsors, Sticker Junkie and Mouse and Monkey Button Company, so stay tuned for that. Sticker Junkie is a great place to get your custom stickers, and Mouse and Monkey Button Company is a great place to order your custom buttons and more. And speaking of ordering stuff, for a ton of rad stuff, including the Mr. T Experience reissue records and the Mr. T Experience Forever double record, simply visit www.soundsradical.com. Click on the store link at the top of the page. All kinds of awesomeness awaits you on the Sounds Rad webpage. Wait a minute. I almost forgot something. It's time for the... Beer 
of the episode. Yes, this week's beer of the episode is the Modern Love Crispy and Dry Hopped Lager, a lovely 5% alcohol by volume beer made with mosaic hops. Let's give it a try. Very good beer. Oh, super smooth. God, that is a smooth beer. It is crisp. It is crisp. This is not the first time I've had this beer, by the way. It's really good, smooth, crisp, refreshing, excellent choice for summer, named after the pretty spectacular David Bowie song. I don't know. A lot of people aren't a big fan of that kind of era of Bowie. I loved it. I loved that shit in the 1980s. I absolutely did. Does that make me a fan of what some consider the worst era of David Bowie's music? I don't care. Honestly, I truly don't. It's a delicious beer. It's a delicious song. And how can you get this beer? Well, let me tell you. You can get this fine lager and all of the other good stuff Plan 9 Alehouse has to offer by visiting Plan 9 Alehouse at 155 East Grand Avenue in Escondido, California. You can call Plan 9 at 760-489-8817 or visit Plan 9 Alehouse on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Damn good beer for a damn good Bobcast episode. Here we go. A few words from Sticker Junkie, then the song Ba 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 Ba. Did I say that right? Ba 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 Ba. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Ba 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 Ba. Ba 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 Ba. Okay. <laughs> we better get going before this degenerates into more uh, stupidity. Yes. On to the episode. Here we go. Stay tuned. Sticker Junkie offers the highest quality stickers to be had in the world of custom-made stickers. Made in the USA in the San Diego, California area, Sticker Junkie can take any design you have in mind and transform that idea into a high-quality, durable, and weather-resistant sticker that has an outdoor life of 7-plus years. Go to www.stickerjunkie.com. That's S-T-I-C-K-E-R-J-U-N-K-I-E. Dot com and check out the website. Want to make some stickers for your project? Whether it's a band, business, sports team, school, church group, whatever it is, Sticker Junkie can help. On the Sticker Junkie website, you can upload your artwork directly to begin the sticker making process, or if you need some help, check out the Sticker Generator, which has hundreds of fonts, graphics, and colors to help bring that sticker design to life. Still stumped on a sticker design? The StickerJunkie.com website has a whole section devoted to sticker ideas where you can find inspiration for that sticker project you have in mind. No matter what the situation, when it comes to making stickers, Sticker Junkie is there to help you any way that they can. Remember, go to www.StickerJunkie.com or you can reach them by phone at 619-328-6275 and get stickery. Filled with doubt 
I'd like to welcome Dr. Frank or Frank Portman of the Mr. T Experience and some other ventures to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Welcome, Dr. Frank. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Dr. Frank. Now, I know you've probably been asked this question a million times, but are you really a doctor? Uh, no. Now, how, how did you come up with starting to call yourself doctor? You know, people used to call me doctor when I was a kid as a kind of a mild insult, like Dr. Frankenstein. Oh. My siblings used to call me that. And so, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't my preferred name until I started to play records on the UC Berkeley college radio station. And that was my air name because there's a long tradition of doctor DJs. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Right. Yeah. Someone yeah. told me it might be spin doctor. Spin doctor. But, right. Um, I, you know, I, a lot of people are nicknamed doctor because they're drug dealers. And maybe, you know, in the 50s or something, uh, a lot of DJs were also drug dealers. I don't know why, but maybe. there's a thing. There was doctor. I grew up with Dr. Don Rose on KFRC in San Francisco, and there were many doctor DJs. And so I just decided that I would join the tradition. And then the name stuck, and then now I think of myself as Dr. Dr. Frank or just doctor, uh, much more seems much more natural than my actual true name. Sure. I never used to reveal to anyone until my books came out. My publisher said, we have to have a real name. We can't publish a book under Dr. Frank. It would be too hard to market. So that's when I came out as my real name. I've never been, never been that comfortable with it. All my friends call me doctor. My wife calls me doctor. My family calls me doctor. I'm doctor now. So If you say it enough, it's going to become true in some ways. Yeah. But you've also lived that. That's been a huge part of your life for over 35 yeah. years, basically. Yeah, yeah, since since the since the early 80s, uh, since the, the DJ stuff happened, like, you know, 82 or so, so. Yeah, yeah. Wow. The history of Mr. T Experience, going back even further, one of your first bands was called Bent Nails. Is that correct? That's right. That was my band I had in high school. Calling it a band was, you know, the little, well, <laughs> Mr. T Experience as well, for a long stretch. Calling it a band is a little bit grandiose. Uh, as a description of what it really was, it was a high school thing that was mostly imaginary, but we did play a few, a handful of times, including we played on the, I, I grew up in the, the, on the peninsula. I was born in San Francisco, grew up in peninsula in a little town called Millbrae, and Mills High School was a high school. We played on the center court of the high school for lunch one, uh, one day, and oh, wow. we played Anarchy in Millbrae. And the administration <laughs> cut the power. So that was that was the illustrious. That was probably the the, the bent nails finest hour. Was, now I was going to say what I thought <laughs> might have been your finest hour. That bent nails had a song on that MRR comp, not so yeah, quiet right. in the Western Front, right in '82. Yeah. That's an accomplishment. Was, that's pretty. That good. was a really weird thing. You know how that happened? Was we were just kids. We were yeah teenagers going to high school. We. The guy, the other guy in the band, was the only other guy I knew who was interested in punk rock. This was '82, was when the record come out came out, but uh, this would have been more like 1979, 1980, something like wow. that. And we were listening to listen to Maximum Rock and Roll. And what people did when you were banned, or at least what we did, was you know we made a cassette of our one of our practices in the garage and sure. sent it to Jimmy Ohana, and then we. You know, a bit later, I mean, they actually played it on the radio, which was crazy. It was really stupid music. But we uh, we got a call from 
from a, a very recognizable. I mean, they're both of those guys, Tim Yohannan and and uh, Biafra, had very recognizable voices. Yeah, yeah. That phone yeah. call from them was very funny. It was very weird experience to meet them. The couple of times we met them when we handed over the tape, and I had no idea what it. You know, I I'm not sure what I thought was happening with it. It did wind up on that record. Uh, it's you know a bit of an embarrassing song uh, in some ways, but it was what we were doing. We were in high school. It was it was a couple years old by the time it came that that record came out. Oh wow! From the Bent Nails period, eventually Mr. T formed Mr. T Experience formed in '85. You also were just kind of doing a brief history of your involvement in music in some ways you also did some time in a band called sweet baby playing drums around 86 right yeah yeah that was just a so i was getting my my little my dumb little band together and the dallas denry the singer of sweet baby jesus this is the original name of, of that band uh was a guy i met in the dorms at uc berkeley and ah. so we, you know, we did our various things together. I could, I met him in the, the dining commons of the dorm complex. And the reason I knew he was a guy I could talk to was because he had a Joy Division pin. Ah. And in those days, something like that would tell you that it was some, you know, that was, was a, doesn't mean anything now, but right. uh, back then it did. And so, you know, we did things, we did things together. And I was, I was no kind of drummer though. I had a stick. I had a, I had a, a tambourine in one hand, a, a, and I hit a cardboard box oh, wow. uh, with the other hand. That was, I mean, there was, we, we, we had a couple of shows where we played in places on a stage. And I think I borrowed a snare drum for that, but it was very, I was just a placeholder till they got a real drummer. They're great. Aaron Comet Bus though, came in behind you yeah. at some point, right? Uh, yeah, he was, well, he was the, uh, it was Sergi from. Oh, from uh, Sam I Am. Sam right? I Am. Yeah was the was the drummer who replaced me and then Aaron was their touring drummer on their one tour if I have that I don't think they did more than one attempt to tour which I understand a touring in in the 80s with a band like that would have been very rough I can imagine (laughs) I can imagine one other claim to fame kind of from the sweet baby thing was Green Day changed their name because they were sweet children and they didn't want there to be a weird conflict with Sweet Baby and people getting confused or something like that. It's something that I kind of read, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe. I think that did happen. That 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 confusion actually did happen, but I don't know that it would have made that much difference. Sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But so I don't know what their motivation was for changing the for changing the name. Gotcha. But that sounds plausible. It sounds plausible. It does. It does. Considering you're all from the Bay Area and that kind of thing. Yeah, we were at that time. By that time, when there was a you know these these early days you're talking about in the mid '80s before Gilman happened, there really was nowhere to play at all. Yeah, and there was no there were no there were no bands. There was no scene. There was nothing at all. And uh, once that started, then that was the place where you could play when you had nowhere else to go. Uh, when you had no, you you know, clubs would book you based on it a track record, but you don't have a track record, then no clubs have been, you know, it's like there was San Francisco, but the, there was not, there was no punk rock to speak of. There was hardcore and that was its own other thing. So, but once it started, then there, there was a small audience of people that would go to those shows and they would all, it was, a, 
it was very small. It's not, uh, there weren't that many bands. There weren't that many audience members. Sure. All the bands were the audience when they were not playing to a large degree. Right. Yeah. Very, very little. And, uh, and it was a, it was a puny scene, but that was they everybody knew the names of all the other bands because there weren't that many. There weren't that many. Sure. 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 Yeah. So through the years, I mean, it, it definitely grew. There's a lot of history with Mr. T experience. To me, it feels like if we're going to do that any kind of justice, we would have to talk. We'd have to do a whole season of this podcast. Sure. Almost there, to no, talk about a, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not that interesting, but there is, a, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a whole lot of nothing going on for decades. There's that, a lot. <laughs> you know, if you really wanted to cover that uh, meticulously and accurately. It was right. So how was the trip between Akron and Columbus on this one tour? Was it anything interesting? Oh, no, no. You just, uh, you know, another loves truck stop, another. There you go. What I want to do, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the more current stuff that's going on. And I are planted a seed with some people on a Facebook group that is a Lookout Records group with some questions that people may want to ask you. And I got a lot of responses. So I've got a few of those questions. The episode basically wrote itself in some ways because everybody asked the questions for me. Might as well farm it out. There, there you go. Why not? Right. That's what a good manager supposedly does. And even though I'm only managing myself here, that made my job that much easier, you know? So sounds rad records and the Mr. T experience forever record. That was released back in March of 2020. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's just about, yeah. It sounds like, from what I was reading about it, you worked really, really hard to try and find the original tapes, like the original oh, yeah. source stuff, to go back and kind of get it remastered and do this reissue. 35 years worth of stuff. How did it all come yeah. about? Like, kind of, you know, how did this, the idea of doing... More or less like it's a greatest hits, Mr. T experience kind of greatest hits record in some ways. So I'll try to be as uh, as brief as possible. Uh, it goes back a long way uh, when my band's last record in 2004, Yesterday Rules, comes out. And uh, we do a tour and it becomes apparent through the tour that something happened in the music business world where between the time of recording the record and putting it out, everyone decided not to buy records anymore. Yeah. And this was a big surprise. So it was like, Hey, how are the sales doing? Oh, there are no sales. <laughs> it's like wow. nobody buys records. Nobody. And we were, and we didn't know what to do. What I did was I took 10 years away from rock and roll and started writing books. No one knew what to do. You still don't know. Just gradually trying to figure out how to, how it's still possible to do rock and roll in a world where people don't buy things. Uh, it took uh, a long time for people to, to even make any kind of progress towards that. And I wasn't really paying attention to that. But in that process, I was kind of, I went, I did a personal project and I shared it on the, on the social media a little bit when that ha started happening. So we're, we're talking about 2010 or so. I hadn't listened to my records, you know, in ever since the, each one had come out, I thought I'm going to listen to these and see if it's worth doing anything with them. Sure. You know, maybe try to, Maybe someone will be interested in reissuing them, maybe something, or maybe it's just better left forgotten. So I was very uh, hypercritical about the about it. I listened to it, trying to listen to it as though I wasn't involved, which is actually quite easy because in a lot of the cases, if you go back to especially some of those early records, I really was like a, di a, a different person. When right, I did yeah, them. yeah. 
in spite of myself, I got kind of interested in it. The verdict was, yeah, let's try to do something with this. And I was very naive when I went into it, thinking that all that would be necessary, well, two things. One, first uh, marker of naivete was I thought that, oh, I can find a label to uh, who will want to do this and give me a lot of money for it. Maybe not a lot of money, a little bit of money. But something, it's gotta yeah, worth something. something. It's got to be worth something, right? Right, yes. Uh, that, that turned out to be overambitious because people still don't really buy music. So, you know, it's uh, even if it's legacy, I mean, you're, you're in better shape when it's legacy because then at least there's some interest in it at all. Right. But uh, yeah. it's a, uh, so that was what, and the second thing was I kind of had this idea that all I would have to do was make the decision and then I would, you know, I don't know who I would call for, call someone and the tapes would would uh, manifest themselves. They would be <laughs> sure. somewhere, well, you know, labeled and organized in some, you know, in some place. And the label had been out of business for years. There had been all sorts of the the assets of the company. I mean, I I did own the tapes officially, but that didn't mean that I had them in possession. Yeah, actually, you had possession of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to find them, it turns out they were in various garages and various places it was a really long project and then the other thing that happened was when they made that east bay punk movie the documentary turn yeah. around they the the uh, corbett and the people who were working on that sort of assembled all of this lookout material for their use in various ways in the in the film and when the film was over when production was struck he, he and his his buddies delivered them delivered it all to my tiny apartment it was you know 20 bins of all these tapes that they had and it was completely disorganized and much of it was unlabeled oh and i think gosh. that a lot of jumbling happened in that time too because of the mislabeled stuff i think some other bands got my tapes i got some other bands tapes uh i think and then i started it was overwhelming but i started trying to do an inventory and figure out what was there and what was missing and that took a couple of years at least oh, sure. to even get a handle on what it was. And then I went around trying to track down the missing ones. I haven't found them all yet, but I found most of them. Probably the most interesting one was that a couple of the mixed masters for the Night Shift at the Thrill Factory remix that we did in the uh, in the mid '90s, uh, that when it came out on Lookout, it was originally on Rough Trade Records, and the sole tape of the first album uh everybody's entitled to their own opinion everyone's entitled to their own opinion uh were, happened to be at george horn's room in fantasy at fantasy i i just like desperate uh, de grasping at straws i emailed everyone at every studio we ever had been in thinking that okay do you have these 30 year old tapes and everybody oh, right. just laughed at this <laughs> but i got a message back from george horn saying there are these tapes here they were under the couch and that's why they were still there. Like someone had wow. kicked them under the couch. So I went down to Fantasy very shortly before it all closed down. Although apparently George is still in business. God bless him. I don't know. Wow, good for he, him. I don't, think he, for don't him. think he still has that room. But anyway, so I got those tapes. And there were other, you know, there was one of the, the mixes that only survives in a safety copy on a DAT that I found in a boot by accident wow. just sort of, there were, like in your closet I'm, or something like yeah, that just yeah. stuck in a boot and who knows you know yeah or and certain things in various you know bags of 
old, you know, junk and stuff like that. And yeah. I, you know, I imagine that there are, I mean, the, the main problem was the mislabeling and the lack of labeling, which I don't even, some of it, I don't even know what I had. But when I got a handle on at least the the easy version of the reissuing, which is just to take the two track mixes and see what you can do with those. So I gathered those together and we had a tape preservationist work on them and transfer them and cap do do full spectrum uh, audio captures of them. Uh, it's a, it's I don't know how a lot of people don't realize and I didn't realize I'd heard about it, but I didn't realize how what a crazy process it is because oh, yeah. some of the the tapes are old sometimes they won't play at all they degrade sometimes, right they start yeah, kind of almost like rotting in a way they will play once and that's all you oh, got one chance one shot so it's not like and and these a lot of these uh machines are it's hard to find these machines because yep. they're old machines and so uh this this lady jessica thompson really did a, a fantastic job at rescuing everything we gave her she was able to to restore um, and then, so the way that MTX Forever, the compilation came about was, you know, we said, well, we got all of these tapes that we want to do something with. Let's kind of as a first crack at it, put out a record with songs from every one of these records and see how, what we can do to make it, see if it'll, we can get it to sound good or what we want to present it, uh, present the material as its best self based on what we have. What happens if we master it? you know, in the modern way and uh, put it on vinyl in the, in the modernist way we can. And it was a pretty good result. So then that was the baseline to start trying to go into some of these other, to reissuing the albums. It was like the first trial run. Sure. And so some of the albums are going to be a bit more challenging because of the, some of the patchy patchiness in the archive and some, some dates and some of them require more work than others. I think there's some of them that really need to be remixed and that's a whole other can of worms that we didn't go there with the multi-tracks yet. Uh, uh, But, you know, that's a very complicated and expensive prospect to do, but we're just gradually doing it, putting out a record every few months. And eventually the idea is to have everything, you know, for whatever reason, it's not, not a money-making scheme. It's a, it's like a preservation, preservation. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, you know, it's like I, I, as I have often said, if I had a better legacy to work on, I would certainly be doing that. But the one I have is this. So I think it's great. Uh, I think there's nothing. If I don't do it, if I don't do it, you know, no one's going to do it. So, uh, and fortunately, the sounds radical guy, Chris Thacker, who used to do insubordination records, is really keen on making that dream a reality. And we're trying to make them be as, you know, as beautiful. Uh, we're presenting them as beautiful objects, both physically and uh, and sonically, and we're being very careful with them and really sparing no. We're not pulling any punches, sparing any expense. We're doing it as as well as it could possibly doing be doing the best done. you can with what and, you've got. Yeah. And everything, yeah, sure. And so far, it's been it's been good. And actually, I would say so far, also the response from there's a turns out there's a core of people that are very interested in this sort of thing there is and so and that is what keeps it afloat and i'm grateful for it it is going to allow me hopefully i mean maybe their patience will run out with the deluxe editions of you know 15 records of all uh, the records right yeah that's a big project that's a huge project 
a huge project. Uh, so far, so good, though. And I'm really liking the way it's sounding. Some of these things, I mean, the, some of these, listening to the audio, full spectrum audio from the tape direct is something that I hadn't done. I mean, really, I don't remember ever really doing that forensically like I did. And most of my listening to my own band had been in, under very poor circumstances. But mostly it was just I had a solo show. I wanted to find out how a song went because I couldn't remember it. So I, you know, pull it up on YouTube and listen. That's to it, not sure. the greatest. Uh, that's not the greatest audio format <laughs> right, uh, that you can <laughs> that you can do. So we have the the real tape, and then we have a good guy mastering it, and you put it on, and it's just night and day. It blows you away, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. So one of the next records you did, and the women who love them, right? Mm-hmm. That w- was that the first one as far as records that's you're going to kind of right. attack? That's the first. What we did, I say we did, we did some rarities compilations called Shards. And that was a, another, that was another kind of trial run. Those were all like compilation tracks and extra stuff that hadn't had a lot of it never made it on vinyl. And it was all unavailable as its own thing. So we did those compilations. We did the MTX forever. And now the next one we're doing is the women who love them. That's, the first proper release on vinyl of it and the first comprehensive release of the material it was there was a very confused release it was there was a seven inch with two songs and an unlisted song and then the cdep that had the same catalog number but was different songs and um it got all confusing so we're just putting it all in one one disc now oh and we also resurrected punkymon which was a novelty pokemon based record that me and some lookout people did and that was a real that was very satisfying to me because i consider it to be one of my my best work and uh it was basically lost so i did that's a great thing about this situation is that if i i will come to chris and say i have this weird lost thing and his attitude is let's just do it let's do it wow it is a great thing and i'm glad that i didn't sell all the tapes to somebody who was gonna do it maybe for a little bit of money, uh, but not, you know, care that much about it. Uh, right. This is a, this is a full, this is really, you know, it's, it's a full spectrum uh, project uh, in my, and I'm really, I, I've, I've learned a lot from it and it's way more gratifying than just passing it off to someone else. Sure. And it's like, it sounds like it's a labor of love in a lot of ways. Too. Yeah, ab- no, absolutely. It better be. Cause it's, you know, it, it, it's not a, you know, not not putting my imaginary kids through college. Right, right, yes. And the women who love them just came out too. Didn't they just release it a few days ago? We're, yeah, we're recording right. this on August nineteenth. Yeah. So yeah, the release. The, the, there was a COVID related delays at the pressing plant, meaning sure. that the vinyl has not quite been delivered yet. Although we expect to see it any time now. But yes, it's out. It looks good. Sounds good. Chris Applegren of lookout record to designed that album cover and did all the art from that period on um with that my band was associated with and uh, he did a he sort of recreated his artwork beautifully and did some extra an extra image that we used on the on the uh, the back cover and the l the the vinyl sleeve is die cut so the red parts are inside and it's just, it's really, you oh, know, it's really cool. cool. Stuff. Yeah. And it sounds so good. Cause it's a, um, it's short enough four songs on each side, short enough that you can do it 45 RPM, 12 inch. 
and which is the ideal format for rock and roll. Yes. It's so, it's just like, it's so present in the room. I just can't tell you. I mean, I, I, it sounds like I'm trying to do a hard sell of, I'm not really trying to be a salesman. <laughs> I'm just saying I was amazed by how great it sounded when I threw it on. And uh, that's a nice feeling because there've been many situations in the past where I put it on and all I could do was just bury my head in my hands and just say, go, well, where oh, did I go wrong? Like why? Yeah. yeah. So, but this, we, we decided that this was the first one to start with because it had never had a proper vinyl release. And because the mix was, that was, that survived on that DAT copy was actually sounded pretty good. And so we didn't have to do, it wasn't a, wasn't a whole lot of uh, reconstruction that had to be done. Yeah. And that's the other thing that is a little bit weird about these, this, this day and age, a lot of the other ones where I have very ambitious plans for these subsequent releases and the major records, and they involve the kind of work that it's very hard to do in this quarantine pandemic situation. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit, we've had to like, had to press pause on a couple of these till we're in, in the position to do them properly as, as conceived. And so, but there's plenty of, you know, peripheral things to work with and we're trying to keep a consistent schedule. So there you go. Kind um, of keep, kind of keep moving forward as much as you can. And then, yeah. And everyone wants to know when love is dead and revenge is sweet are going to come out. And then the, 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 the more discerning super fans, our bodies ourselves as well, as well. And uh, uh, each of those needs some special loving attention that is going to, it's, it's not going to be, they're not going to be the first ones out the gate, but when they, when they find, when we finally get to them, I hope I imagine, and I'm going to try to make sure that they just sound spectacular. So that's the reason for the delay for the delay. Gotcha. Cool. The next thing I wanted to ask, considering both these releases or actually three with shards is Mr. T experience coming back as a band. I mean, I know we're in the middle of COVID and all that and you can't really play live, but yeah, well, we don't No, No one plays live now. We, I mean, we no, we are a, we are a, a band. We up until the, we, you know, played a, we've been playing, I don't know, handful of shows every year since. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, so, yeah, that's another thing I didn't mention. Another sounds rad record was uh, I wrote songs and we perform and we recorded songs that were basically the soundtrack of my most recent book, King Dork Approximately. It's called King Dork Approximately, the album. And that was we, you know, we got back together to record the theme song for that book. And then uh, I had the idea that I wanted to do this kind of art project of musical accompaniment to the book that would be reciprocal. So, you know, the book would be like extensive novel length liner notes to the album and the album would be musical footnotes to the book. And we did, we did a whole, uh, we did it. We recorded the whole album, which I really pleased with. And it was, was originally a download from in the paperback edition of the book. And that was originally all that was going to, that it was going to be. But then in the midst of doing that, I was working with Sounds Radical on the Shards compilations. And, you know, and he just said, well, you know what, let's do this, let's do this on vinyl and do it right. And so that was the first major release. That was the number three, Sounds Rad, rad number three. Uh, it, I really like how it came out. But so we, that was uh, 2016, 17, something like that. 
and uh, we've we've been doing shows. We have plans for doing more things, but you know everything has to be put on hold. Right. I don't I don't want to do anything half-assed, or I don't want to cut any corners. And if it means cutting corners, I just don't want to do it. That's one of the things I've learned over years of doing things slapdash and cutting corners on them. Right. And uh, it's just you never I'm never happy with that. So I, if it's if it's not going to be all that it can be, I'll just wait till it can be. Wait till it's but, okay to, to, to do yeah. what you're going to do. Sure. That makes but sense. But when we can, and if we figure out how to make it happen, there's going to be another album, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Okay. Good. Good. That's good to hear. Do you know what I notice when I leave the safety of my hidey hole lately? The hordes of mindless and shambling zombie-like people stumbling around just lack that certain something that could set them apart from the crowd. The solution? A custom-made button from Mouse and Monkey Button Company. Yes, even what appears to be a rotting corpse can be brought back to life with a button from Mouse and Monkey. Any type of image can be made into a custom button. A photo of your dog, Sparky? A photo of your sister Barbara or your favorite white zombie tribute band. Yes, the possibilities are without end. Do you ever feel like you can't find your keys or a bottle opener when you need them? That you're in need of more brains in that type of situation? Well, Mouse and Monkey has a solution for those spectral keys and beastly missing bottle openers. You can also get custom-made keychains and magnetic bottle openers from Mouse and Monkey. Problem solved. When you're in the need of a quick escape from the unearthed undead, you're sure to have easy access to that custom keychain, thanks to Mouse and Monkey. Don't forget the bottle opener. It's right there on the fridge, again, thanks to Mouse and Monkey. Mouse and Monkey Button Company. Surviving the zombie apocalypse of 2020 will be a breeze when you get these custom keychains, bottle openers, and buttons from Mouse and Monkey.
Well, let's do some of those questions I was talking about from the Lookout group on Facebook. The first question is from actually a friend of mine, someone you might know too, Mike Bruno of Dead Broke Records, Iron Chic. He, okay. he asked a question, what is your personal favorite Mr. T Experience record? I, you know that I, they all have their uh, their their good points and bad points. I approach everything that I've ever done with, uh, for, uh, with a basic uh, attitude of, of cringe, uh, like a lot of people. I would say the one that has the well, it's real. The songs, it's all that the songs are the, are the most important thing, and the one that has the most consistently successful writing is the Revenge is Sweet album. Even though I'm not really pleased with how it is sonically, I uh, and there were some missed opportunities uh, with the recording of some of that stuff, which I had bigger ambitions for, and those complaints of mine are well known. It, it angers people to hear that because a lot of people, it's their favorite record. But those songs, those songs are, I, I can't really fault them. That, that's a great collection of 16 songs. But my favorite one, personally, for you know, largely sentimental reasons is the one that we're reissuing now, the Mr. T experience and the women who love them, because that was a experience of coming back against all odds from the lowest possible period uh, where the band was in shambles. The, everything was a, was, it was a very demoralizing experience to record with this tiny budget that kept shrinking. And we just knew that this was our last gasp. And uh, then to my, amazement it sounded good and that was a real impetus to keep going when i was had been ready to just just kind of call it quits and like that yeah it was just like it was a it was like a lot of our records it was recorded with a fuck you guys attitude i'm you know like (laughs) right (laughs) you know goodbye cruel world um and this is going to be the last one many of them were recorded that way but none more than this and the (laughs) fact that and it marked a kind of a you know i at the time, thought I was finally getting my act together with the writing. I was finally doing the doing songs that were that were working. And oh, how tragic it is that I don't have a band anymore. That I don't have a that that our label hates us. That there's no possibility of getting anywhere with this. Uh, and then it, but that was a springboard to some, you know, pretty great things that came later. So sure. I'm, I've always that's always been, and the songs are pretty darn good. So. Uh, that's my that's my personal answer, despite what I said before about uh, Revenge of Sweet. That's a rough question to have to analyze your own stuff and go, uh, yeah. But well, like I said, yeah, as I said, I did it very extensively and kind of agonizingly publicly when I was reviewing this stuff. And it was cool. It, it was, you know, I, I hate social media, but that was an example. Um, I mean, no one, you know, that was before any, everyone was trying to, you know, get each other fired from their jobs for the wrong choice of words or whatever is right. going on now. This was this was just like there were people chiming in, arguing with me about my opinions on things or trying to, you know, console me. It's not, it's not Dr. Frank, it's not so bad. I actually quite like this record that you've been trashing for in this whole comment <laughs> comment thread. And that helped put it in perspective. So yeah, it's it is a it is I don't like having to do that, but it was a good thing to do, and I did do it. So it's not it's not the first I'm uh, uh, going through that. I thought about it 
a whole lot. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You've been through that process. You've you've definitely been through the process of sorting that out kind of thing. The next question, Dylan Thomas asks, if someone were to introduce Mr. T experience to a friend, what do you think would be a good introductory song to get them into Mr. T experience? Well, I will say that the MTX Forever compilation was intended to be that. The gateway uh, drug this, to the rest of yeah, what's, what's this, what, okay. what is this band all about? Here it is. There this you is go. what it's about. But as for a song, I know the data are most, the, the by many measures, the most popular song of ours is a song called More Than Toast. And very close behind that is a song called Ba 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 Ba. For whatever reason, <laughs> yes. those are the those are the favorites. I'm not going to argue with. I'm not going to argue with that. I think the song even had a even Hitler had a girlfriend kind of put me on the on the uh, me and by extension my band. It's a it's a solo song that is on one of those records. Yeah. Uh, it kind of put me on on some people's map, and that's something that uh, that people would say. Uh, you might make a case that the song sackcloth and ashes is definitively representative of the of the weirdness we were capable of you know at its sort of most distinctive a lot of people like that one too but yeah that's an impossible question to answer it, it is it is right single song there's hundreds of songs hundreds like literally. they're literally yeah. so i would say just like you said you know what here's a du- here's a double record listen to this and I'm sure you're going to find something you're going to like on that record. So that was a uh, hope. Cause if you don't like, cause if, cause if not, then you don't like, then you don't. Right. Then you know. <laughs> it's like, the, right. it's like, you know, there's like how many millions of kiss albums are there? Right. But you know, right. love gun. If you don't like that, you don't like, kiss. you don't like it. <laughs> you know, it's very <laughs> simple. You just, uh, <clears throat> you could argue about the merits of all the other ones. But right. I was going to say, I'm a destroyer man over here. Okay. So, you know, the, the love gun, I, I love destroyer too, but, Love Gun distills it to its essence. Like I was like, that is the the uh, the quintessential thing, and it's not necessary. You wouldn't even say it's necessarily the best. And there's a lot of arguments that other things are. I would say the Ace Frehley solo album probably oh, even better. But no um, argument, no no argument yeah, there. No that's argument. probably the best. That's probably the best Kiss album. Yeah, they, but I, the point I would is, say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If 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 you listen to Love Gun and you go, oh no, this is not for me then there's no, you're not going to like any of the other yep. stuff. So. Then don't even bother. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Very good. that's very good. <laughs> Next question. Ken Didion asks, what Mr. T experience record was the most fun to record? And he also asked, on the flip side of that, which one was the least fun to record? Okay. Those, these are, uh, those are, these are, these are treacherous waters. Um, yes. The, yeah, I, I got to say that, Probably the one that most fun, uh, meaning you know least horrible, least horrible, least uh, <laughs> yes, least, yes. least, <laughs> least yeah, you know, the the fewest all the things that make recording unpleasant, you know, interpersonal conflict and sort of struggling with your against the like you have a a tiny budget and you have a hostile label and a hostile producer and a disgruntled band and it's just like all that stuff that happens anyone who's been in a band knows what i'm talking about there so the lack of that is very nice and so the king dork approximately the album was a breeze because everybody doing it was volunteering for the job and they were we were doing it for fun and uh, there was no one it wasn't you know 
the only thing it needed to fulfill was itself. It didn't need to, you know, pay anybody's rent or, um, right. you know, fulfill any kind of obligation other than that. So we just were got in there and, you know, did the best we could and made us out of, it was a joyous experience as opposed to this sort of agonizing banging your head against the wall situation that is almost all of the records were like that up to that point for the reasons that they, you know, they, there was something at stake in recording. There's something at stake. Yeah. yeah. So it'd make you stress a little bit more about the outcome of it essentially. Yeah. I mean, we had to finish, you know, you had to, we were milk milk lemonade album, uh, for instance, that, that was like ridiculously ambitious for its, I don't know what, $1,100 $1,100 budget, something like that. So it was like, we were just trying to make this thing happen when we couldn't afford it. It was just, you know, I would just, it was, it was miserable. And then I often butted heads with our engineer producer, Kevin Army. Um, although I'm grateful for everything that uh, he, he brought out uh, the best in my band and, and on many occasions and in so many ways and made me a better songwriter and taught me a lot about what to aspire to and not to, you know, to, and to, to reach beyond my grasp, all that stuff. It's great. But we had many, many arguments mm. and it's like the, the results, uh, maybe you couldn't have got the results without the arguments. Maybe if we had been nicer to each other, it would have been better, maybe worse, but I can't say that it was always fun and games through that. I really enjoyed my solo album, the recording of that, the show business of my life. That's because again, it was, I wasn't, I wasn't, I only had, I didn't have, you know, nobody cared about it. So it was like, I didn't have, I wasn't knocking, wasn't butting heads with anyone. I, there wasn't a, it wasn't a, there wasn't any, uh, I didn't have anything to prove. I just had these songs that I wanted to do. So yeah, kind of like something I, you wanted to do. You didn't, yeah, you weren't and, looking at other people's expectations or anything like that. You were doing it for the sake of you in some ways. Yeah. So, so, but you know, you can't, no, no pain, no gain. You, you got it. There's birth pangs in things that are, that are significant. And so, you know, if someone had a great time doing a record, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good and could right. mean quite the opposite. And, you know, so these were, these were agonizing in many ways, born of pain. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, our, our most, our most well-loved album, Love is Dead was, I was a, like, I was I was a basket case during the recording for recording for personal reasons that didn't really have anything to do with the music or the band. I was on a liquid diet. I was in, I was melting down. I had to be like shuttled from apartment to studio and from room to room. And sort of I had to be like had to have a permanent caretaker to get me to to get me there. And I was uh, and so that was it was like a very very dark period of my life. I can't sure. say it was fun. But it influenced the character of this very well-loved and rather unique artifact. So I'm not going to say I'm not going to say I, I I regret that. But it, yeah, fun isn't both the word I would use for it. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Great. John Rash asks this question: What has your relationship been with the name Mr. T experienced through the years? And if you feel that the name maybe caused some kind of limitations for the band, reaching a wider audience or anything like that. Uh, it, it absolutely did. Um, and I, re- I, and there's a lot to regret about that because, you know, it was, it was a, it was a kind of funny joke. It's one of those jokes that, you know, got, you know, very quickly, much less funny. 
And uh, then, then I mean, I would say that mitigating that, there's a point after which it just becomes so absurd that it's, uh, you know, over time that its own resonance just by virtue of the absurdity, which sure. I do appreciate. And it's not like you can, it's not like there's any point in, you know, imagining how it might have been different. It's, you know, it's, it's stupid, but it is what it is. And it was what it first, it, the material kind of is the main thing and that's what it is labeled. And so that's what it is. And I don't know what, what I'm expecting would have been different. You know, the, I, the, what it was, I, am I expecting that I would have been, you know, that my band would have, I would have been Bono or something. Oh, right, right. It had you Bono been a more a, serious name like, or something, Yeah, right? like, what, what, what am I really saying here? Would I have been, like, this great big pop star? Would I, would I have been the prince of the Bay Area? No, I wouldn't have. <laughs> right. uh, reg- you, there's no name that good. And so I just, I'm kind of philosophical about it. By now, uh, you know, you, you, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an odd thing that hopefully is amusing and interesting if someone stumbles on it and wants to delve into it and find out what it's all about. Uh, there are, you know, you could, you could do a lot worse than that. You could have something generic and boring and then the music is generic and boring and then nobody takes a, second uh look at it which is would be much worse very true so very that's true. my answer to that great okay the next question is from josh drown and he asks this is a good one i love this one okay he asks have you ever written a song about a girl and have her recognize herself from the song and then bring it up to you and say hey that song's about me because th- isn't there a thing that you would do for a long time where you would introduce songs and say this one's about a girl. And that was kind of like a little part of your shtick in some ways. Yeah, it st- still is. Still, still is. is. Okay, find, good. Okay, find good. Find something good. that doesn't work for me, I stick with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more you, yes, the answer to that question is yes. It is yes. Usual okay. Thing, yeah, the more usual situation is this or that girl sort of saying, this one's about me, isn't it? This one is this about me? Is it about me? Is it about me? Is it about me? And uh, then that's even more awkward because you know, you know, see, these are uh, no, that, I'm sorry, are, it's these not. are fictional <laughs> treatment, and no, I mean, I'm afraid that uh, I'm a, you know, it's, it's, I, it's that is a that is far more awkward. Um, I've never, I've never been in a situation where the things that are referenced in a song that do come from experience. I've never had anyone be mad about it. Ah, uh, okay, good. They, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, Jimmy Webb in his, his memoir slash songwriting book said, you, you, if you're going to be a good songwriter, you can't have a wife or a girlfriend because uh, you will censor yourself. Or if you don't censor yourself, she'll censor you. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's fascinating. And I've never, I've maybe just lucky that I've, known uh even the crazy girls i've known have been cool in that way or uh i but that's never been a problem i think that I, for whatever reason i don't know but the I've, I've never felt the need to to uh to to i guess jimmy webb just had had was dating different women he, there you go right yeah he had a different experience than you in that regard for sure yeah yeah same is true with stuff in books everyone says uh, that they'll say they'll read something in your book oh that's me 
that's what I saw. I oh, I read the thing you wrote about me. Very funny. It was like, what the hell? Like, okay, I, you know, I wasn't this is, talking this about fictional. you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you? Yeah, right. That's like you said. That's even more awkward because you're like, I'm. I'm sorry. That's not about you. Oh, it's not. Oh, well, I was. I thought I was hoping it was. You know. Yeah. Even. 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 You know. Rather negative things. You know, sure, they're, they're, sure. They're disappointed well, just, if it turns out not to be. Yeah. Getting wanting that notoriety to an extent, right? Yeah. The the last question from the Facebook thing, Matt Diamant asks: Is Civilization the Civilization series of games your favorite video game, and why do you play it? He wanted me to do a whole episode with you just on the Civilization series. Well, yeah, well, Civilization is a great game. I've been playing it since it since it came out, going way back to the beginning. It's the only computer game that I that I have played consistently, other than NetHack, which I was also played from the from the beginning, the roguelike games, and I like them for similar reasons, which is you are using you start with a blank slate and you have to discover the world and then use strategies to build something, which is what I really like. Civilization is about the best thing I've ever encountered like that, although the, the, the current version has some, uh, you could sort of criticize. I think that I'll say the most challenging one was Civ 3. That was probably the best game, the best civilization. The, the most fun to play was Civ 4 just it had extra bells and whistles that uh would but it was it, but starting with Sephora it just got easier and easier and easier to win and, but that doesn't mean it's less fun and I gotta say I don't spend a whole lot of time playing it these days but it is I've sure flushed a lot of hours down the toilet uh <laughs> over the years playing civilization and I still do love it great okay cool the last two questions I have here really are kind of stock questions for me I kind of ask these of a lot of different people Okay. One of my things that I like to talk about is ghosts and the paranormal and that kind of thing, like haunted places. Like I'll actually go to a haunted place and, you know, do quote unquote, like ghost hunt type of stuff. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe there are, is such a thing as ghosts? Uh, short answer. I believe there's something, I don't know how I would, uh, I probably believe there's something I don't know. I think, Part of the reason why it's an intriguing question is, is it's not, it's not knowable. The unknown uh, aspect on, of it. And yes. So, yeah. I certainly believe there, if there is a normal, there must be a paranormal. Uh, however, I don't, I, I would take anything anybody told me about that material with a grain of salt, even though I find it very fun. I used, I always, I would have, I, you know, I'm, I live in this uh, little apartment. I'm, kind of hoping to move out of it soon and one of the things that i would like to move into is a haunted place just for the for the the effects of the spirits lowering the temperature like um some spooky air conditioning like <laughs> which i would which i would really could really use now you know how yeah. oh yes like the cold chill and the before the poltergeist uh, manifest right. throw the um, sage away man let them in come in please some uh, some I had some uh, cousins in uh, my mom's side of the family in the foothills of second cousins, I guess foothills of Mount St. Helens. And they lived in an old house that uh, they all believe in, in ghosts. It's very a kind of old fashioned, traditional uh, community there. I remember they would all, it was a, there was not a, 
there's not a clear line between the ghost stories you tell tell for fun and the ghost stories you tell as real stories. And right. I was never able to judge the difference. But so there was Cousin Nathaniel's closet that had the ghost of a dead body in it, which is I just that it was long after hearing that that I I actually stood back and said what. With wait, what is that? Wow, ghost of a dead body. But um, that house was known as the Murr House because at certain times when it settled, you could hear a voice say Murr, and the obvious. And I heard it. I've heard, I have heard this. And the obvious conclusion is that there is another voice that would say Durr at some point. I never heard the Durr, but I would be not at all surprised if instead of Durr you heard the Griffin. So uh, I I think I I don't take it super seriously all the time, but you know who knows? There's more things in this world than uh, than uh, is, than are covered by my awareness and understanding. So certainly. Um, sure. But what about you? Are you you're interested in the paranormal? Are you a are you a faith in the paranormal? No, no, not necessarily. More or less, it's one of those things where it's like. I'm very interested in it, especially the storytelling aspect of it and how, yep. you know, it, even if it's all fake, goddamn, there have been some great ghost stories, you know, I mean, from like you were saying, almost yeah. Yeah. The, uh, best, the best stories, the best stories imagined yeah. or, you know, what somebody saw that was real. I don't know. So it's kind of a quest for knowledge on my part, but it's also incredibly engaging and entertaining for me to think about and, you know, check out and read about because there's some fascinating, crazy stuff that people will say, you know? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Have, so you haven't ever actually experienced, you would say but anything only like the mer, only, No, the only the, only the myrrh. I, I think that, uh, though I, I have ghosts. No, I mean, there are, there are spooky things that happen in anybody's life. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, I certainly, uh, have had my share of those and I don't know what to make of them, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't trust that my own feeble grasp of reality is 100% of all that's there. So, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to characterize what isn't, what, what isn't immediately available to my understanding. And, but, uh, I, I think that there's, there's got to be more than what I can see because it's so limited. So I'm, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule anything out. That to me is probably the best and most acceptable answer of that question is, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen anything, but I'm me. I don't know everything. There's some weird stuff in this world. No. Who knows? You know, possibility. All right. So the last real question I have for you. This one goes back to kind of when I first started this thing over a year ago, and it is based on food. It's the burrito question. Okay. You have traveled all over the world, right, with Mr. T experience. I mean, you've been you've been a lot of places a lot of times. Yeah. That means eating on the road a lot. Do you like burritos in general? Generally, speaking? I'm not a big burrito guy, to be honest. Really? Um, oh. I, it was. It's not. A, it's never my. Uh, my first choice. I don't know why. Tour touring your food is almost always fast food, right? And yep. when it's uh, and when it is uh, Mexican style, to me, it's soft taco supreme. And I know I never had any inclination to stray beyond the soft taco supreme mode. And when I go to a Mexican place, 
in San Francisco, of which there are many. I mean, maybe it's not not quite San Diego, but right. it is. Uh, it is still it's still pretty, pretty you know, doggone good. Pretty, yeah, I just get. I I would I would go for the carnitas or enchiladas or something like that. Oh, Domingo's okay. Never All the right. thing that I the thing that I that I choose. So I'm, I may disappoint you because I don't have a lot of experience. That's okay. That's fair. I mean, so, okay. So you're not really a burrito guy. That's one of the rarest answers of that question is most people are like this type from this place, yada, yada. Now, have you, right. Ever... I know that I know it's a thing. That people, oh, yeah. yes. Yes. Do you, yeah. Have you ever had a burrito any place in the mission in San Francisco? I have. And I, you know, I'm trying to, I used to, I used to, well, my, my, uh, girlfriend used to uh, have an apartment there. I used to spend a whole lot of time in the mission, and we used to go to the Mexican places and the taco stands and the, the you know taquerias and so forth all the time. I can't remember any names though. Cancun and, is uh, one that always stands out yeah, to me. Yeah, Cancun, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I just, I don't know why. I, I have a, I just always choose something different than a burrito. Interesting, for whatever reason. That's great. No, that's, that's almost, I almost, again, I almost like that answer better than having a very specific burrito thing. Cause you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know, you know, whatever you're not nailed to be nailed down so easily. So <laughs> I, I like, I just, I like it when it's good. And, there, uh, there you go. There you go. All right. You know, any final thoughts? One thing a lot of people seem to want to know about that I gather just from looking around doing research and stuff, the movie for King Dork. Is that ever yeah, something that's going to happen? I, it, I suppose, you know, it was, it's been set up in various ways. It's had different options and had different, different producers and different versions of the setup. Currently, I mean, I think you could have just, you could describe it as it was in development hell for the, the, the industry term and development hell. Hollywood is a crazy place. Yes. I stopped trying to psycho, psychoanalyze it or trying to, trying to, you know, assess what it means and trying to read the tea, read the tea leaves. I haven't heard anything sort of positive or negative for a stretch. And it could be that tomorrow I'll get a call saying, okay, we've got, we got a, there's a, uh, we got a, a new plan here and we're, 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 we're doing it or not. I have no idea. It was, it came so close to being made a couple of times. Oh, wow. And then there were, and you know, it's a bummer that it didn't, it would have been great in, in either case. And uh, it just, there through you know through more like an act of god that uh you know there was the there's the sort of classic hollywood situation the day before shooting and then the uh then everybody they uh, here's the news everybody got fired last night from that wow. from that division it's like the, these kind of things happen and that did happen in in one of these setups so i'm not saying never but i'm not holding my breath at this no, point hold your breath, but, sure. uh, we'll see yeah so like yeah it could be well, tomorrow. Okay. Yep. It's going forward. It's moving forward. Or you may not hear anything about it. It takes an off. Some can take a long time for these things to get moving. And sometimes it's like ridiculously quick. I don't know what the secret is. You know, it's a judge from what I can gather from a vantage on Hollywood for the past 10 years with a sort of a like peripheral into it. It's just amazing that any movies ever get made. That anything all. happens at all, kind of yeah, right. <laughs> it, is a, it, is a, it is a it is a crazy it's a crazy way to organize human effort. Sure. And so yeah, who knows? There's so many egos and so many people involved and just so much craziness and money and all this stuff that yeah. you know, as somebody like you that's involved in 
in music, you've, you've touched, you've seen some of that aspect of things, just playing in a band and touring and being on a label that was a good sized label and everything, you know, and everything you've done, the Hollywood thing is like that times a million and so many more oh, crazy yeah, yeah. people involved and everything. So yeah. Holly weird. <laughs> there you go. And, and that's a, uh... That is uh, quite apt. There you go. All right. Any anything coming up you want to mention or anything? Uh, any you know, just, um, if, if anybody who's interested in Sushi Experience and you know my songs and that that music and that stuff, kind of stay tuned on the these you know social media channels where we announce all our stuff because we got some cool stuff coming up and uh, we're just plugging away at it. And uh, you, if you get there's a we do that we do this model where you it's uh you call dibs on releases as they as they are announced and so you get on a list for the special deluxe versions they're designed to be limited so the way you know about that is to follow it and to to get on these mailing lists and stuff and if you're interested at all that's a good way to do it and i don't know everybody i'm having a lot of fun and it seems like the people who are uh involved in it are having a lot of fun too so i would just encourage anyone who's interested to give it a shot great that's great that's that's all you can ask for is to have fun and enjoy yeah. what you're doing with it and otherwise it's just not it's not good <laughs> in some yeah. ways you know so well great Absolutely. excellent well thank you so much for talking to me dr frank i really really appreciate yeah, it it's, it's, it's been a pleasure and thanks very much you got it buddy all right yeah take care frank all right so long well, there it was, the Dr. Frank interview. And I got to say, Dr. Frank, what a guy. I absolutely loved talking to him. Dr. Frank, super nice, super easy to talk to, truly has so much good things to say and so many good things to talk about. I'm kind of starting to feel a part two of this interview at some point. Maybe let me know. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under I Want to Party with Bob. Should Dr. Frank and I do a part two of this episode in a couple months? Well, we'll see. I'd love to do it. Let me know. If there is a part two, maybe I'll take more fan questions and see where that goes. No matter what, I'm really happy I got the opportunity to talk to Dr. Frank, and not just because he's such a rad guy, but also because it really rekindled my interest in Mr. T Experience. I spent the last couple of weeks re-listening to Mr. T Experience, especially the Mr. T Experience Forever record, and that is a fucking great record. It really is. Mr. T Experience, also a fucking great band. Some of the catchiest songs I've ever heard in my entire life. Remember, you can also get this greatest hits or sort of greatest hits record by Mr. T Experience and more at the Sounds Rad website, which is www.soundsradical.com. Or you could do this, ask your local record shop to order the Mr. T Experience Forever record for you. Also, let them know, why don't you start carrying some of the other fine releases and stuff from Sounds Rad. Rad? Yes, super rad, I would say. Thank you so much to all the great people that responded on that Lookout Records Facebook group. Mike Bruno, Dylan Thomas, Ken Didion, John Rash, Josh Drown, and Matt Diamant. I owe you guys a bunch. You all made this episode so much more interesting than I could have done by myself. Thank you so much. Thank you also to the sponsors of this episode, Sticker Junkie and Mouse and Monkey Button Company. Remember, go to Sticker Junkie for stickers, Mouse and Monkey Button Company for buttons and more. Both of this episode's sponsors are incredible at what they do 
and they are all great people to boot. Thank you so much to Dr. Frank for the interview and Chris at Hit Points Media for setting the whole thing up. I truly do appreciate that. Lastly, thank you for listening. As always, I really, really appreciate you. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's Mr. T Experience with the song, Dumb Little Band, to wrap things up. Enjoy. Oh,